Brina Garen, and you're listening to Hex Positive. Welcome, witches. This is episode 14 of Hex Positive. I'm your host, Brina Garen, and if you're anything like me, you're already looking forward to spring. Now, I live in Virginia, so springtime here is a lovely, blossomy time of year with the trees blooming and the flowers everywhere and the pollen in your face. Plus, it's a great time to start the garden and just Ah, so much to do. So exciting. And I would hazard a guess that my guest in the virtual studio today is just as excited about the springtime as I am. She is incredible. She has oracle decks on the market. She studies American druidry and the intersection of permaculture and magic. She speaks to the trees. Please welcome Dana O'Driscoll. Hiya, Dana. Hi, Bree. Thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm very, very glad you're here. Now, I ran across your blog last year, your WordPress blog, and the article on the Allegheny Mountain Ogham, which really, really drew my attention. Like, it grabbed me by the nose and would not let go. Um. I'm Pennsylvania born myself. So this is like right up my alley. I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. You know, you usually read about Druidry and it's a lot of sort of across the pond focused. But this is something that is from almost literally my old backyard. So then I saw all the articles on sustainable practices and homesteading. And I was like, yes, this all of this. I need to talk to this person. So I got to ask, how did you first get into the craft? Oh, that's a that's a good question. Um, I mean, I think that a lot of us, you know, have the seeds planted for such, you know, our spiritual practices and our magical practices in childhood. And that was certainly the case for me. I grew up on the edge of a very large forest and I spent a lot of time in the forest. Um, my grandfather showed me, you know, magical things in the forest before he passed. And it just became a really important part of my life. And then um, when I was 14, the forest was cut. And it really shattered me. Um, and then I kind of, I don't know, I grew away. I guess I grew apart from magic and whimsy. And then it was, I was 25 and I had decided that I was interested in nature spirituality. And I walked back into the forest for the first time in 10 years and the whole thing had regrown so beautifully. And it really just, I guess, solidified to me the importance of nature as a place of magic, as a place of healing, as a place of regeneration. Um, and I definitely think that that experience put me really firmly on the path of Druidry, which I'm still on many years later. Well, that's lovely. I I absolutely adore forests and mountains. It's It's where I feel like my soul is at peace. So I hear you on that. And forests really do have a kind of magic that you you just don't find anywhere else yeah I definitely think that I mean and you know I grew up in the Allegheny Mountains um you know specifically the you know the there's lots of different 
those are different spots, um, the Laurel Highlands region. Um, and there's just such a beauty there and such a majesty. And, and when you think about, you know, just the ancientness of the Alleghenies and of the Appalachians as a whole, you know, and the deep magic that you can tap and work with and the spirits that you can connect to. It's it's a really powerful experience. Um, and, you know, I encourage everyone to visit any forest that they can get there, you know, get, they can get to and and experience some of that, um, because I think that there's just I think there's a lot of disconnection in the world right now. And a lot of people are looking to reconnect. And that's, you know, going into the woods, going into nature. It's a good start, right? Oh, that's always a good start. I mean, you, you want to make a witch happy, like put her in some trees. So, yeah, <laughs> definitely. And I know a lot of people are like, oh, I, I don't I don't like, you know, camping or hiking or, or you know, going out and, and doing the whole, you know, roughing it thing. You don't really have to. All you have to do is take a walk. Yeah, yeah. I think that there's lots of ways to interact um, in any in any natural setting. And, you know, you might start with taking a simple walk, you know, learning, learning some observation, how to how to tell the difference in different trees. Right. Um, And then you can get into things like wild food foraging, you know, finding your own incense and incense um, ingredients and, and, you know, finding ways of reciprocating, giving back to that forest. And I think, you know, it can kind of snowball from there, you know, especially for somebody who maybe is trying to take the first steps back into that kind of practice, you know, it's small steps and, you know, the forest is going to be there when you're ready for it. (laughs) That's a really good way of putting it. And I live by those Peterson field guides and you can just grab one of those little guys and like walk around your local woods or your local, you know, wild area, whatever you have available and just see how many things you can identify. That's a good place to start. You know, just make friends, you know? Yeah. And, you know, you know, I think one of the big when you think about Druidry, you know, one of the big themes, you know, I think a lot of different paths have a theme. Right. One of the big Mm -hmm. themes of of Druidry is connection, Um, reconnection, connecting to not just nature, but, you know, connecting to our own spiritual practices and our own inner life, connecting to our creative practices. But for us Druids, it, it is really ultimately about like finding that inspiration and that joy in nature. And there are just so many opportunities to interact. And you know, field guides are great. Finding somebody who knows something and that can share it with you. You know, like I said, doing a wild plant walk, studying some herbalism. There, you know, the, studying some bushcraft. I mean, there's just so many wonderful ways to sort of reconnect and get back to those things. Oh, for sure. Now, I loved what you said in your bio about there's a threefold path with Druidry. Uh, Can you describe what those three folds mean to you? Yeah, sure. Um, So the threefold path in Druidry, just to give the basic definitions that I think a lot of people would agree on, um, is the path of the bard, which would be the creative arts, um, which could be anything from performance to visual arts to writing or music or oration, you know, anything, theater, um, anything where we're creating with our hands or our minds or our bodies. Um, the, the second path is the path of the ovate, um, which is traditionally tied to nature um, in very specific ways. Um, depending on the flavor of druidry, it might be tied to some other things as well, like divination or mysticism. Um, and then there's the path of the Druid. Um, and this, these, these paths tie back to the ancient Druids. So this, these are things that have come, come from the inspiration of the ancient Druids. And the Druid path is really the path where you're working magic, ritual, you know, engaging in philosophy, you know, astrology, all of those sort of maybe traditional magical arts would belong there for, for folks. Um, and I think like 
you know, there's this saying in the Druid community that if you ask, you know, if you ask five different Druids about Druidry, you're going to get like 10 different answers. <laughs> and so, you know, I think I appreciated the question because you were asking, what do they mean to me? Um, so I'll kind of share. Um, I think one of the most important things in the Druid tradition is its flexibility and its freedom. Um, it's a really non-dogmatic path. Um, and so Druids are not, we're not connected based on belief. We're really connected based on practices. Um, and so I'm going to actually talk about some of the practices of each of those. So um, the Bardic Arts, um, I'm really committed to the Bardic Arts and consider myself a very serious artist. Um, and for me, that's, and for many Druids too, it's about channeling what we call the Awen. Um, so the Awen in ancient Celtic traditions um, is, a, and it's, this is a Welsh word, um, is, is the source of inspiration, divine inspiration. Um, and there's a sense that it flows through you. And it, you know, there's an ancient poet, Taliesin, who was considered the greatest bard. And he has these beautiful poems um, that you can, you can read from about the sixth century that talk about the Awen flowing and drying up and all of these things. And, and that's really, that's really a big part of it. So you know, we Druids try to cultivate that creativity, not just in order to, say, produce a piece of art, but really to experience the process of making art as a spiritual practice, as a magical act. Um, you know, what can I get from nature? And I think that, like, so, like, I've painted a tarot deck and an oracle deck, and those both fall really firmly into, like, trying to create magical art. Um, Within the Ovate path, um, I would say that for me, that's really where a lot of like um, practices of permaculture and homesteading and sustainable living come in. It's about finding ways of working sort of everyday magic that involves me giving more back to the land, taking less from it and learning how to live more sustainably and helping other people do that. Um, that's also about deep nature knowledge, which is kind of where we started, right? Um, learning about how nature functions and how it really ultimately is the source of everything for us. You know, sometimes when we go to the store and we buy things, we kind of forget that, that all of this derives from nature. Right. And so learning more about that um, is really important for me and, and finding ways of helping all of pe uh, the people in my community, the people that I have any influence over um, finding ways of helping people recognize that nature is really valuable and important and something we should care about and something that we should work to honor and protect. And then of course the Druid path is kind of like the synthesis of everything else. It's, you know, where you study magic and you think about it. And a lot of the magic that I do is nature magic, you know, um, I mean, just to give you an example, you know, I'd like a protection bath. So I go immediately onto my landscape with an offering and I speak to the various trees um, and the various plants. And it's a little harder in the winter because not all of them are awake because <laughs> it's very cold here. Um, but you know, and some of them are like, yes, please take a branch. Um, I make a bundle and then I go take a nice bath with it and protect myself. And so it's really rooted, you know, for me, the Druid arts, the magic is really rooted in my relationship with every plant and tree and, and those plants that are right immediately outside of my, of my land. So I think that's like a brief introduction, I guess, maybe not so brief, but there you have it. I think that's a very good introduction. It's a, a good explanation of the the principles that your craft functions on and that you live by. It works, yeah. works for me. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's like the idea of principles here is really important. So mm -hmm. I mentioned permaculture, which is um, permaculture is it's been around since about the 1970s. And it's essentially a design and life philosophy. Um, different people use it in different ways. But I really appreciate it. it has three ethics, which I think are really foregrounding a lot of what I do as a druid. Um, 
They're care for the earth or, or earth care, care for people or people care and fair share. So those three ethics saying, okay, in everything we do, can we enact uh, an ethic of care? Can we care for people and find ways of taking care of their needs? Can we care for the earth and find ways of taking care of the earth? And can we make sure that everybody has their fair share, but not takes too much, right? And something simple like that, you know, it's it's about finding those ethics and then bringing them into everyday life, I guess. That makes good sense. It's that it's that old uh, that old adage: you take what you need, but need what you take, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Mhm. Mm That's very cool. And you've kind of intertwined these things together because you do a lot of, uh, of, of homesteading and permaculture in your everyday life. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think I've made a lot of life choices to put me in a position where I can do that and sort of live what I consider to be my most ethical care oriented and best life, which is also my magical life. Right. Um, so we, my partner and I have a five acre homestead in Western Pennsylvania. It's not, you know, we're, we're doing it on a pretty small scale, but you know, we have large gardens, we have flocks of, of birds. I have my very magical geese, which I just adore. So I have to mention them. Um, <laughs> and, uh, magical geese. I love it. Don't <laughs> get me started about talking about my geese so you won't get anything else out of me. Um, <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, and, 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 you know, we do a lot of like we really think carefully about how do we intertwine our lives in a sacred way with ritual, you know. So like today, actually, we just tapped our maple trees um, and we've got a lot of really nice, beautiful old maples on our property. And for us, Imolk begins when the maples start flowing. That is the sign of Imolk. So we actually didn't celebrate Imolk like two or three days ago. We celebrated it today because today was the first day they were running. Um, and so that was both a magical act where we went, we offered gratitude, we made offerings, you know, you honor and sing to the trees. And then it's also a way to, um, to gain some maple syrup to learn those old traditions that are really tied to the land. And we'll have a really nice supply of maple syrup for the year um, after we boil it down and everything. And so that's like a nice example of like this kind of nature oriented magic that you can really weave deeply into your life. So rather than me going and, you know, buying maple syrup or buying other kinds of sweeteners that might have other environmental costs and I don't know how they're made and I don't know how far they've been shipped um, or, you know, what fossil fuels were created or burned to produce them, I can just produce it here um, in a sacred way and then use that, you know, that maple syrup we make is usually for like our, like we make acorn cakes and other kinds of things from our land that become part of our ritual offerings and so on. So, yeah, I think like, you know, I don't think that everybody can or should live this kind of lifestyle, but it's definitely been something that I've worked towards for a long time. And that's really fulfilling and joyful. Um, but I think you can do the same kind of thing, even if you're, you know, an apartment. There's always there's always ways to bring nature in and to integrate and to do some kind of homesteading or self-sufficiency that I think can be really spiritually beneficial. I couldn't agree more. I live in an apartment myself and I find a lot of fulfillment and a lot of satisfaction every year in being able to do just a little windowsill garden. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we don't have land. <laughs> we, do, we don't have, you know, a yard that we can go and do things in. Um, but we have a windowsill that gets good sun every afternoon. And so I can grow some herbs there. I can grow some vegetables and it may only be enough for our household, but it's something. 
it's it's one less thing to buy at the store. It's something I can be proud of. And, you know, I like you said, I think that's something that everyone can do on some level, whether it's growing things or just being more aware of what you're what you're buying and consuming. Yeah, I mean, I, I really like the adage. And actually, one of my blog readers gave it to me probably four or five years ago. You grow where you're planted, you know, um, rather oh, I love that, like rather than trying to think about some off, you know, some fantasy that may may never happen. It's like, how do we better our lives, live in a magical way, live in a sacred way and live in a way that honors the earth wherever we are. Right. And those, those life choices and those decisions would look really different for me than they might for you. And that's totally okay. You know, but this idea of growing where you're planted, I think really can sort of, you can really think about that weaving of nature magic into your everyday. That also means learning about your local ecosystem, learning what plants were sacred, um, or maybe growing the herbs on your windowsill and, Learning how to use rosemary and thyme magically, you know, as as incense, as a magical herb for your bath, as a magical as a magical herb for your food, right? Um, and that's just like such an exciting thing because I think a lot of times we, you know, as as pagans, as witches, as druids, we're we're asked to do a lot of consuming, but we don't really have to. Like we can make a lot of things for ourselves, and that's exciting. That to me is a really empowering thing. It's something that motivates me a lot. Oh yes, I, I I absolutely love witch crafts in in pretty much any capacity. Anything where I can take, you know, small components or something I just have around the house and make something. Again, a lot of satisfaction. It feels like it means more. I know not everyone can do it, but if you can, ten out of ten do recommend. It's 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 very very nice. So you designate your practice as American Druidry, and you've done a lot of formal schooling to back that up, both as a Druid and as an herbalist. Yeah, yeah. Um, So Druidry obviously originated in the British Isles with the ancient Druids, and they had the three classes of people, right? The Bards, the Ovates, and the Druids. Um, But the Druids, um, the Druids had a prohibition against writing down their teachings. They were an oral tradition. And so there's actually very little of the ancient Druids left. We get fragments from various myths that we think are, you know, that that we can extrapolate a lot. And then there's about nine total pages written mostly by the enemies of the Druids, the Romans, um, talking about, you know, (laughs) white robes and golden sickles and things like that. Um, And so you know, the modern Druid movement really was revitalized in the British Isles. Um, it's called the Druid Revival. It's been several, it's actually several hundred years old, but most of the modern Druid orders have some relationship to that, to that Druid Revival. Um, but again, it was a British practice. And so um, currently I'm the head of the ancient order of Druids in America. Um, I'm the Grand Arch Druid in, in that order. And AODA is really, really committed to thinking about wildcrafted Druidry thinking about Druidry that is rooted in a person's own ecosystem and in a place and time. And there's nothing wrong with British-based Druidry. There's a lot of good and people can learn a great deal from it. But um, it's hard whenever you aren't seeing the seasonal wheel reflected outside of your window. You know, you're, it's hard whenever Imolk, like everything is frozen at Imolk. You know, part of the reason I use maples to signify Imolk is because that helps me reconnect with my landscape. Um I don't have snowdrops coming up and I certainly don't have lactating ewes, you know, which are like the most traditional symbols. Um, And so, yeah, there's this idea that we can take a a, a druid practice, a nature-based practice, 
And if we really want to do it well, we have to think about how, you know, it's kind of, kind of been the theme of our conversation so far. How can we embed that practice right outside our door? You know, how can you learn from the dandelion coming up out of the sidewalk? Um, how can you learn from the movement of the clouds or, you know, the ocean that you live next to? And so it becomes a really embodied thing. And so there's a lot of people right now in AODA and elsewhere who are really trying to build, like, what does an American Druidry look like? Um, it has to be obviously inspired by the past, but it also has to respond not only to nature, but this is my own personal argument. It has to respond to the challenges we face as a, as a human species right now. Like we have to talk about what do we do when nature is under terrible threat and it's also the most sacred thing we have. Um, and so a lot of, you know, I, I've done a lot of writing on this and a lot of thinking about this and a lot of people in AODA have. We've had a lot of conversations about, you know, what does a 21st century Druidry look like? And what are things, what are tools that we might use, um, magical, metaphysical, physical, um, to, to help promote that idea? Um, so, for example, um, I live in western Pennsylvania. Western Pennsylvania is in the Rust Belt. Um, it is a major extraction zone. We have fracking wells. We have, um, we have acid mine drainage from old, mi old coal mines. We have abandoned factories that cause pollution. We have coal pollution. I mean, you just, you name it. Like... <laughs> If you have the litany of lists, like it's it's quite extensive. We have extensive logging and I'm a druid rooted here. So I can't just go out into the woods and say, oh, I love you. Right. Like I want to do that. I do do that. Don't get me wrong. But I also have to say, like, how can I enact magical practices that even if I can't remove the fracking well physically, can I enact a magical practice that heals the land? That's a practice that has to be tied to me because the fracking well is, you know, 10 miles away or whatever. Um, and so I think that we have to not only when we're thinking about American Druidry, it's not just Drew. It is Druidry. Absolutely. That's rooted in our landscape. That is present. That is like, what are the plants? What are the trees growing outside your outside your door? What are the plants that you can enact, interact with? You know, white pine can replace frankincense, for example. Right. You can use white pine resin instead of frankincense. And now suddenly you've localized that. But it's also how do we respond to sort of the challenges of our age and how do we um, how do we become good stewards and honor the land that we are that we are also working with? And so I think I mean, I could go into that in a lot more detail, but I think that that has to be part of the conversation we have in the U.S. and really anywhere. Um, but, you know, it's, it's not just how do we get something from nature that really benefits us, but how can we in, in, embed ourselves in ways that can assist and honor nature, particularly at this very challenging time? That's a very good way of looking at it. And, you know, things are, you know, hopefully taking a turn for the better now that we're, we're getting back into the Paris Climate Accord. And, you know, people are much more aware now than they've ever been of the challenges that face us as human beings, as societies, as a planet that's in need of our care. Um, or at least for us to view the planet as a living, breathing thing that we are you know, responsible, not just for, but to, uh, yeah. because the earth will go on whether we're here or not. So it really behooves us to kind of take care of it. So it doesn't kind of throw us off. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and to me, that's a big part of the magic that I try to work, you know, is I'm really committed to like, um, physically, I'm really committed. To, this is why I like permaculture, because permaculture is all about regeneration. It's all about looking at a piece of land and saying, how can I leave this land better than I found it? 
Um, so how can I take this lawn, which like, you know, the American lawn, like you can read about this. <laughs> the American lawn is, is not a good, it's not a good phenomenon. It, it consumes a lot of resources. It, it burns a lot of fossil fuel. It causes a lot of climate change. Um, so uh, how, don't get me started on lawns and golf courses. <laughs> Do not get me started. Exactly. So like, how can I take a lawn that I have, uh, that I have access to and turn it into something that's healthy and abundant, that is an ecosystem that that you know creates nectar and creates food for wildlife and maybe creates some food for me too um so that's like a physical regenerative thing um but there's also this idea of sort of regenerative magic that we can do so you know to go back to like something like a fracking well like i can't i can't remove the fracking well that's you know on public lands because you know there's really complicated laws like a lot of the mineral rights in pennsylvania have been sold off so some company owns the mineral rights under the land that somebody else owns right and they technically can put a well where they want um, if they own the mineral rights. So I have really little, I mean, I can protest and things like that, but I have little power over whether, what the, if that well is there in the physical world. But that's not to say that metaphysically I can't do something. I can do protective work for the land around. I can do healing. And so a big part of my own personal practice is thinking about both physical and metaphysical land healing and how that can sort of be part of at least for me, part of my own embedded druidry here in a challenged landscape. That sounds great. I mean, it's, it sounds like a lot of dedication and a lot of work, but I mean, that's, that's what this, this requires, you know, you, you have to kind of stick to it. Oh yeah. I mean, I don't think anything that's worth doing is going to be easy, right? <laughs> and, You're absolutely right. Yeah. And, and, and so I think it's just a matter of saying to yourself, and this is going to be a different answer for anybody who wants to pick up a path of druidry or really any other magical practice. You have to say to yourself, what do I really care about? What is the work in the world that I really want to do? What is the work personally? What would give me personal fulfillment? And that would deepen my own spiritual practice and help me on my own path towards wherever I want to go. And, you know, for me, it was really finding those pieces. Um, learning herbalism, learning permaculture, and learning the synthesis between that and magic. You know, thinking about the, you know, the hermetic adage, as above, so below, as within, so without. Even if I have no control over without, I have control over within. I can always do metaphysical things, even if I can't do physical things. Although I'd prefer to do physical things and metaphysical things. But I do think it takes a lot of dedication, and it takes a lot of, you know, it's a, and it's also just a lot of quiet work. Like, you're just out doing your thing. What I mean, and that's okay. Um, but I think it. I think that that we're really, as a civilization, we're kind of coming up against some hard decisions about who we're going to be in the future and what is our relationship with the world going to be. Is it going to continue to be one where we strip it bare and we see it as nothing but a resource, or are we going to start bringing the the magic back in? Are we going to start bringing in the sacredness and um, the enchantment. There's this idea of re-enchanting the world or, or seeing the enchantment again. And that's just like a, I feel like all of these things I'm talking about, that's, that's part of that re-enchantment that we can create. And it's not that the world, the nature outside is always enchanted. It's that we can't see it. Um, so bringing that, that magic and that, that, that enchantment back in. I couldn't agree more. And I mean, it's, it's like you said before, you know, all you have to do to, is walk into the woods and you'll feel it. You're absolutely right. It It is still there. It's just we're so busy with other stuff. We're so concerned about other things that sometimes we forget to stop and look and listen and feel. But, you know, once you do, once you find a place where you can reconnect, you know, it's there. And like you said, it's waiting for you. You just have to, you know, 
make the time, take the time and, and find a place where, you know, you can feel it again. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I think that's a lot of I think even for me, too, like, you know, going back to the story I shared at the beginning of the call, um, you know, that's the reason that a lot of people find Druidry. People find Druidry because they're looking for that connection and they're looking for tools that they can use to help deepen that connection with nature. And to me, I honestly believe if we could help many more people find a connection with nature that's and, and care about nature and really you know have deep reverence, that's going to be how we fix a lot of the problems we have. And that's how we're going to put ourselves on a better path. So for me, it's both about personal practice, but also about trying to bring in a new way of seeing the world. I mean, I'm not doing it alone. Alone, Obviously, there's a lot of people out there on a lot of different paths. Um, you know, people in permaculture, people in herbalism, people in natural building, people in druidry and nature spirituality. Like, I think a lot of us are sort of speaking about these things, maybe using different frameworks. But I, I really do think there's sort of a movement out there to to be re-enchanted and to be reconnected. And I think it's gaining a lot of ground. And that might really help us with, you know, the next 50 years or the next 100 years. What is our society going to look like when we come out of all of this? Um, so I sort of think about those things. I don't think about them every day, but I think in the back of my mind, that's, you know, when I'm thinking about how do I help the land that's suffering around a fracking well, I'm also thinking about, you know, because I blog and I try to share this stuff. It's like not just how do I help this land, but also how do I create a practice that maybe other people could use or adapt or grow from? And that's kind of another piece of that. I like that. It's a good way of looking at it. You know, not only, you know, what can I discover, but how can I share it? Yeah, yeah. And I think that, you know, going back to this idea of American Druidry, um, you know, a lot of a lot of paganism, like there's there's ancient pieces of paganism, right? But there's also a lot of paganism and witchcraft and things like there's a lot that we don't know. There's a lot that was lost. And there's a lot of but I, I, I in Druidry, you know, especially in revival Druidry, a lot of us see that as a benefit almost we aren't bound by an ancient text because we don't have one, you know? And so the question then becomes, what can we create today for today that helps us into tomorrow? And so there is sort of this really awesome opportunity to really be inventive and to really build a tradition with other practitioners. That's really exciting, you know? And I think that that really helps. I don't know. That's just it. That's creative. It's, it's, it's connecting. It's, it's really a powerful thing. It is. It really is. It, it is exciting. And I, I love the way you put that, that, you know, we're not bound by ancient texts because there aren't any. That's there's there's something that is. A little scary, but also very empowering about that. It's, you know, yes, we can, you know, look to what we know of the older ways, but at the same time, we can create them now. And that's incredible yeah it's like if people I I think sometimes we're we're too like I feel like sometimes we're especially in paganism in general we're we're really focused on the past like oh what don't we know oh what can we reconstruct and I am completely supportive of those practices I think they're really useful I mean I practice some myself um I I grew up Pennsylvania Dutch and that's my family heritage and so there's some practices that my ancestors did like the bootsaman it's a magical scarecrow also made it in Molcom <laughs> you know like those sorts of things that that I do but I also say there's so many gaps in this tradition there's a lot of play, there's a lot of opportunity for magical innovation and I think that that that's really important and that's important for new people even that are new to any of these paths you know your new witch your you know your new druid or whatever um, you're a new heathen, but you can 
you can, there's always opportunity to innovate and to really connect and to make it your own and maybe do some good along the way to something beyond you too, which is kind of cool. Absolutely. That's something that I've uh, kind of emphasized in my own writings and my own discussion that, you know, with, with witchcraft and paganism so often, like you said, we are kind of in love with the past and with this idea of, you know, antiquity and ancient traditions and, and the old ways and so on and so forth. But at the same time, so much of witchcraft and paganism is about now and here and innovation. And in a way, I think that we need to focus more on that because, you know, the past will teach us things, but it can only teach us so much. And at some point we need to begin to discover. Yeah, yeah. I I feel like it's like honoring our ancestors and honoring the lineage of the traditions that we work, right? So in my case, it's sort of a couple of sources, the ancient Druids, the Druid revival, and then some ancestors in my own lineage in AODA, right? But it's also about like honoring them by living, living your best life and by thinking about the future. And, you know, uh, one of my good friends and mentors always said, you know, he, he uses, uh, it's called TSW, um, <laughs> this shit works, right? <laughs> and <laughs> you always wonder, like, you know, my, I, I like to say, you know, does it work? Like, it's important if it's, you know, if it's older, if it's a part of the tradition, we should honor that. I'm all about honoring my ancestors and honoring the ancestors of the tradition. But also, if it's something new and it works, like, we should use it if it works, you know? Like, my rituals to support the land surrounding fracking wells, those are new rituals. There were not fracking wells. The ancient Druids did not deal with this problem, right? Now, I can use some of the philosophy there. I can use the Druid revival philosophy of like the three currents and things to help construct that ritual. But in the end, that's a ritual that's a problem that's only 20 years old or whatever, you know? So I do think there has to be this sort of balance between the ancient things and, the, and looking into the past and finding that as inspiration, but also living in the present and thinking about how we ourselves can be good ancestors to the future. And that's another part that I really think a lot about. Oh, that's, that's good. Absolutely. I, I like that a lot. I like that we need to be good ancestors for people who are coming down the line. That is beautiful. Yeah. And so, you know, if you think about that, like, you know, cause I think we do have a lot of ancestor work in many of our traditions and paganism and that's great. That's fantastic. It helps root us and helps us feel less alone in the world, but we're also at some point going to be those ancestors. And I kind of think to myself, what is the legacy that I can leave for those who haven't come yet? Or maybe those are just born. Um, and how can I, as a, as a human being in this world, and as somebody who practices nature, spirituality, and druidry, how can I, and permaculture and all these things, like what, what am I leaving? How can I leave it better than I found it? You know, and I think that's powerful. That's powerful magic too. You know, it's funny. I was just like, reading my 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 forecasts uh earlier this week and one of the things that came up three times no less was you know you have climbed to a place that you've been looking at for a long time now reach back and help somebody else up Mm. so it's like hmm this is this is uh this is beginning to become a theme and uh, speaking of uh, where we started with places, you uh, you mentioned herbalism several times. Um, practical herbalism and herbal medicine is how I got my start in witchcraft. That was sort of my uh, my my gateway in. So, uh, what came first for you, the herbalism or the druidry? 
<laughs> the chicken or the egg, right? Um, exactly. <laughs> I definitely found Druidry, and that was the gateway to, and ev- like all the other things we're talking about. So it was finding that, like that spiritual connection or that spark, and then suddenly wanting to learn more. Um, so I took up herbalism. I want to say about ten years ago now. Um, I studied with an amazing instructor, Jim McDonald, who lives in Southeast Michigan. Um, if anybody ever has a chance to study with Jim McDonald, I highly recommend it. Um, and, um, and I've studied with other people since, but he was sort of my primary teacher. And I still feel like I really, um, I really follow what he taught me. Um, and it was a real honor. And yeah, so herbalism to me is just another piece of all of this, right? So if you're practicing if you're practicing magic and you want to bring the plants within and you want to learn about them, well, you know, one of a great way to start learning about plants in your local ecosystem is to start studying herbalism and you can learn about their uses. Um, you can learn about some of the older traditions like the doctrine of signatures, which can be really helpful if you want to use them magically. Um, you know, the doctrine of signatures, the whole idea is that the plant itself reflects what it heals and you can take that same concept. So, you know, mullen is a good example, a mullen flower, a mullen plant. The leaves are very fuzzy and they look like a lung. Um, so, of course, mullen <laughs> is a lung herb. It supports the lungs in various ways. But you could also look at that fuzzy leaf and that branching nature and think about how, you know, maybe you could use it for air work. Um, you know, and so it's interesting when you start like it, when you start learning one one genre or whatever. Right. You start learning herbalism. It, it, it doesn't necessarily stay in the realm of herbalism. You know, it starts it starts bleeding into magical practice. It starts bleeding into other things. So I like to study herbalism both sort of um, as an herbalist, but I also study botanical illustration um, to help me better identify herbs, which is sort of as a bard, you know, as, as a creative person. And so it's fun to see how those things can bleed together and really lead to a deeper, really deeper connected practice, which is what I'm all about. Everything is connected. I mean, I think sometimes we we underestimate just how many, you know, threads there are in the web that makes up the world and how they interconnect. And whenever we find those little intersections, there's something there there's something about that that just, you know, it it makes your heart kind of kind of shiver a little and it's like, "Oh, there it is. There it is. It's it's shiny and it's it it all fits together and it's beautiful." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's actually one of the challenges that we face today is that we've sort of forgotten that, right? We, we, you know, we, humans are sort of not only are humans very disconnected, particularly right now, right? Um, but we've sort of lost our connection with each other and our and ourselves and nature. And I really think finding that connection again is a really important part. Um, in the Plant Spirit Oracle, I have a I have a painting um, called the Great Web which is actually probably one of my favorite paintings I've ever done. And it's um, it's a group of mushrooms that are essentially growing a mycelial web that like goes into the universe. And that painting in particular, you know, to me symbolizes that sort of as above, so below, as within, so without. The idea that, you know, just like the mycelial network connects us, so does the network of the galaxy. So does the network of people that you know. And that interconnectivity becomes a really powerful theme that, you know, that that really can really resonate and I think can really help people sort of move beyond maybe the, you know, the traditional everyday American life or whatever and find something magical and find something unique and find something that really sings to their spirit. That reminds me so much of 
those uh, those those comparison photographs where like like you said the mycelium web and the tree roots and you know the the human blood vessels and the veins on a leaf like they all kind of look the same just in different contexts yeah yeah I mean like the study of sacred geometry which kind of ties to that is really fascinating like you know yeah you can you can see it in the branching patterns you can see it in the Fibonacci sequence, the sacred spiral, like which is reflected in our bodies, which is reflected in a rose, which is reflected in my goose, you know, and it's neat how you can sort of see these, I guess, like these sacred patterns of nature, and there's many of them that reflect everywhere. And you can learn those just by observing and then start thinking about how do I work with these as an artist? Or how do I use these in my magic? Um, I'm really into snow magic. I really like snow. Um, I'm a winter person and I like to go out. Like one of the ways I do really simple land healing is I go out in the landscape and then I, you know, I, I will walk, you know, maybe a pentacle, maybe a spiral, maybe something more complex and leave it there. And every day I can go walk it and then add that energy in, you know, a protective magic or whatever I'm doing. And then every day that the snow is there, I walk it again. And then as it melts, the symbol kind of goes into the earth and then, you know, it's there. And, just thinking about how we could use things like the spiral or the web, you know, to, to sort of, um, I guess, enact some of that is, is interesting. I've walked a couple of spirals in my time. Um, and there, there is something that is very, very meditative about it. And I love that idea of just treading the same path in the snow over and over until it, you know, it melts down and becomes part of a land. That's, that's a, beautiful beautiful image it, it 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 gives this feeling of you know tying your life and your footsteps into the place where you are but not in an intrusive way just like you know you are here and i am here and we are together in this place and there's something yeah. very beautiful about that with the goose yeah with <laughs> yes yeah but but that idea of that the idea of connection right mm-hmm. um yeah yeah, that that's just and that's what I'm talking about, like this everyday magic, you know, it doesn't have to be anything, you know, this everyday nature magic, you know, living your sacred life, you know, doesn't have to be like, I mean, sure, sometimes I'll do some pretty high ritual, but sometimes I'll just go out and just enjoy the moment in the, in nature. And I think that's just as important for people, especially people starting out. I think sometimes, you know, we get very tied up in you know, do I have the right robes? Do I have the right gear? Am I saying it right? Am I doing it right? And and that's all important, especially if you're trying to practice a particular tradition. But there's also a a joy and a, a freedom in just going out and walking snow, walking in the snow and doing a little snow sigil work, you know, or or whatever. Um, and and invent and creating those things for yourself. So I think there's I think there's room for all of those things. Absolutely, there there is magic and ritual, and there is magic in spontaneity they're very different there's there's a different feeling to them but they are equally valid and they are equally magical and equally exciting yeah absolutely absolutely we'll be back with more hex positive after this brief sponsored break this episode is brought to you in part by crow's bone Crowsbone is a family-owned business with 20 years of experience in the study and practice of magic. Their selection combines carefully curated wholesale goods, unique secondhand finds, and handcrafted items from their home base. 
peruse their excellent selection of books, home decor, spell components, and so much more. Make sure you check out their seasonal subscription packages and mystery boxes, as well as their range of personalized services and readings. While you're there, check out their working community survey, featuring a variety of voices from the witchcraft community and their library of free printables. You can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at The Crowsbone or on Tumblr at Crowsbone for regular updates and sales. And now is the perfect time to do it because the good people at Crowsbone are offering my listeners a 15% discount on their products and services. Just use the code HEXPOSITIVE at checkout. This offer excludes subscriptions. Refresh your witchcraft supplies and help support small business while you're at it. Visit Crowsbone.com and remember to use code HEXPOSITIVE at checkout for 15% off your order. Crowsbone, to thine own self be true. This episode is brought to you by Portland Button Works. Do you like buttons? Of course you do. Have you ever had a great idea for one, but just been like, darn it, if only I had the resources and equipment? Well, fret no more. Portland Button Works is just what you need. Portland Button Works creates custom pinback buttons in four different sizes, plus magnets, hand mirrors, and bottle openers. Download their templates and create your own designs, or use their Design-O-Matic for quick formatting. You can order just a few custom items for yourself or as gifts, or order in bulk for merch, table sales, or your own shop. And they are quick! The turnaround time for properly formatted submissions is one to three business days for most orders under 1,000 pieces. That is lightning fast! I've been getting buttons from Portland Button Works for years, and their quality is always top of the line. Ever wonder where the hex positive buttons came from? Well, now you know. And once you're done making your buttons, make sure you visit the PBW Witch Shop for a thoughtfully curated selection of witchcraft, magic, and occult-related zines. They've got books, buttons, tarot cards, and more. The collection has a refreshing emphasis on magic that relates to traditional and folkloric witchcraft, chaos magic, secular witchcraft, magical plants and herbs, queer witchcraft, politics and social justice witchcraft, and other non-Wiccan magic. There's a good chance they have exactly what you're looking for. Visit the main Buttonworks at portlandbuttonworks.com and check out the Witch Shop and Zine Distro at pbwwitchshop.com. Help support small business and get your buttons from Portland Buttonworks. Fighting fascism one button at a time since 2012. Since we're all heartily fed up with Amazon right about now, I've decided to open a small online witch shop on my WordPress. You can pick up copies of Grove Daughter Witchery, The Sisters Grimoire, and Pestlework, or shop for witchy goodies like banishing powder, witch web kits, and witchy buttons. You might even get a special surprise or two with your order. Go to brienicarin.wordpress.com shop to place your order today. And now, back to the show. Uh, your lifestyle and your craft are really deeply intertwined. Um, do you do all of these things on a daily basis or is it just, you know, as you find time or find occasion? Um, what, when you say all of these things, what do you mean? Like the magic I was talking about or bardic arts well, or 
Well, yes. It's like, do you do you set a t- aside a little time every day to do something bardic, to do something with herbalism, to, you know, go outside and walk? Or is it like, OK, today it's raining, so I'm going to stay inside and do this. And then tomorrow I'll do this or just, hey, I'm out in the garden. So I think I'll do this because I'm here. Oh, yeah, sure. OK. Um, well, I think that a lot of this is seasonal. So, you know, I've sort of established a set of seasonal practices for myself that vary by the season. So. I do a lot more bardic arts in the winter because I have a lot, you know, it's, it's, it's been really cold here, you know, and I'm not really keen on going outside and doing too much outside and the garden's frozen. Um, and so I, I sort of have like a seasonal set of practices that vary by, they by the, vary by the season and by the day. I do like to build in a lot of spontaneity, but I also, you know, I celebrate the eight, eightfold wheel of the year. And really, that's an important part of my practice. Um, so I would say that I definitely try to do something magical every day. Um, that might not be like, I'm definitely not going to have the energy for high ritual every day. Um, try to do rich, like really serious ritual work once or twice a week, maybe, or, you know, maybe every two weeks if I'm really busy with work or something and I don't have the vital energy to, you know, pull off a good ritual. Um, but I do try every day. I try to build some magical practice. I think that's important, even if it's small, even if it's five minutes of meditation by, you know, in front of a candle. Um, in AODA, we have a set of daily practices that I always do. We have something called the sphere of protection, which is essentially an elemental working that both invokes and banishes um, the four elements and then calls upon spirit above, spirit below, and spirit within and creates a protective barrier. Um, you can, you know, you can find out there's a lot of details on it about <laughs> in, in AODA site. Um, so I always do that. I always try to do a little meditation um, because I think that's important. I always try to get outside. Um, luckily, I have a homestead. And so I'm usually outside for about 45 minutes every morning taking care of our animals. Um, and so I take the opportunity while I'm doing the homestead chores to observe nature, to watch the sun come up, to see what the ice looks like on the rube plant. And so there's that synthesis, right? I have, and you know, we have homestead stuff always we're doing maple tap, like maple trees. We're starting our seeds now and all those things. And, but those are also part of the spiritual practices. They don't have to be separate. And so I think that, I think that what I try to do is live every day as a druid and sometimes I'm more successful and sometimes I'm less successful. And I also give myself the space to not, you know, to, to not live up to expectations I can't meet. Um, but just to, I think the important thing is this idea of living this joyful enchanted life, you know, to find things that like, I don't know, it's just, it's joyful to me to go talk to a tree. You know, it's joyful to me to go outside and look at the sunrise and, to really take a quiet moment to really experience that. Um, One of the biggest challenges I have in my life is that I have a really demanding job and I have a lot of demands on my time. And then of course I'm helping lead a Druid order and, you know, (laughs) working on my own projects and, you know, and so I do have a lot going on in my life and, but I really, really try to set aside time and really make sure that I have moments that, you know, are magical moments. Um, you know, maybe taking a minute to do smoke cleansing, you know, talking to my geese, whatever it is. Um, but I think that that's really important for everybody. Like, it, you've got to find a way to build a spiritual practice into your daily life. And you have to recognize, like, you're not going to do everything you want to do all the time, but you've got to find ways to do things that bring you joy and that give you peace. You know, I am so thankful that I have, I, I, that I managed this before the pandemic, because I don't know what I would have done without my daily practices, like when the pandemic started, like they were grounding. And a lot of people I've heard from um, and a lot of people that I work with and mentor, I've heard that like being able to go outside every day, do my sphere protection, do some meditation, 
like they were important before the pandemic, but they are like critical now just to get through the, you know, radical changes we've all been experiencing. So I think there's that too. Oh yes, definitely. I leaned really heavily into my craft um, when, uh, when the lockdown hit Virginia and it was, it was one of the things that kept me sane was, you know, being able to go through my little routines uh, every single day or, or, or do a bit of research or just lean back into the stuff that was familiar from, you know, the, the, the before times. Yeah. And I, I like what you said about, uh, you know, finding time and making time for things that are magical, but uh, also finding ways to make the moment that you're in magical because it is, you just have to find it there. That's very beautiful. Yeah. So like, I'll give you a good example of this. I mean, yes, please. Okay. Right now, like every day I've got to cook, right. Or my partner cooks, but we have to cook. Like we have to cook for ourselves. It's a big deal. Right. And especially now in the pandemic where like we live in a rural area, so it's hard to get delivery. You know, we have to, we have to drive like eight miles into town if we want something. So we've just been really trying to commit ourselves to cooking for ourselves and learning new recipes. And like, it's really fun to practice kitchen magic, right? It's really fun to take that squash that you had grown and that you have sitting on your counter and make something magical with it. And to actually, you know, like, I don't know, I made a spiral squash pie, you know, about two weeks ago. And it was like, I involved sacred geometry and I just had joy as I did it. Um, or, you know, our geese are laying eggs right now and finding really and doing like egg custards and things. And like, that's something you have to do every day. You know, every day you are going to go in your kitchen and try to make something to eat. So why not build in a little bit of joy, a little bit of magic, maybe find a way to do something a little more sustainable there. You know, that that's and you know, that's the kind of thing I'm talking about. Like, yes, I'm still going to set aside time for meditation and ritual, but I'm also going to sort of try to build. I don't know. I'm trying to try to build a magical kitchen that I can just enjoy and be present in and not feel like it's a burden to be in there, you know. So that's like a good example of this what I'm talking about or like. Another example, um, I teach and I really find a lot of value in mentoring and in helping people sort of, I don't know, find their gifts and empower them. And so sometimes I'm talking to a student or I'm, I'm, I'm reading their, their work and I think about a way that I can really encourage them and nurture them and maybe give them just a little spark of something they hadn't thought about, you know. And just a way of bringing in a little bit of my own magic in a very surreptitious, obviously, way. I'm not going to be blatant about it, but, you know, or, you know, something like one of my my students who are writing a dissertation and they're stressed out. I might be like, well, why don't you, you know, why don't you take some time and sit under a tree for 15 minutes this week and tell me how it goes? You know, <laughs> actually, I tell that to a lot of them and they do it and they all like it, you know. So it's just like things like that, um, you know, and, and I think that's really valuable. I think it's really important not to separate our spiritual and magical lives from our everyday lives like finding ways of synthesizing those and integrating those is critical oh yes definitely absolutely i i, I sat under so many trees in college and suddenly that makes a lot more sense <laughs> but like you said you know we're, we've got to do this stuff every day so why not just go ahead and make it magical you're you're doing it anyway so put your 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 craft or your your magic with it and make it something that's more joyful, make it something more enjoyable and meaningful. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually mm -hmm. kind of, that's the theme of the book that I have that's coming out in May is it's called sacred actions, living the, living the wheel of the year through sustainable practice. And it's sort of taking this idea of like everyday life and finding ways of building both magic and more sustainable living into it. And it's been something I've been practicing for a long time. Um, 
And I do think that it's a nice way, especially in a very busy world, a, a world where we don't have a lot of time, but a world in where we're trying to find new ways of, of living and, and being present in our lives, whatever they might be, our work lives, our family lives, but also sort of finding that magic. Um, and so that sort of is the underlying philosophy of that whole book, um, which I think, I don't know, it's sort of it's sort of everything I learned and did for a long time and then, you know, and, and was taught about from a wonderful group of teachers and then sort of trying to pass on in that that new way. That sounds amazing. <laughs> and you said it's coming out in May? Yes, it's coming out through uh, Red Feather Schiffer Publishing. Um, and mm-hmm. um, yeah, I've been I've actually been working on it a long time. Really excited to have it come out. Um, and I def- definitely wanted to share a little bit about it because I think it's under great. It's like some of what I've been talking about is really on um, that book is underlying some of those philosophies, especially this this last bit we've been talking about in terms of everyday life and magic and how we build magical practices into our homes and how we can do that in a really sustaining way that honors the earth as well as honors ourselves. Oh, I absolutely love that. I must add it to my library and I'm always looking for, uh, you know, good unique sources that are informed by, you know, unique perspectives and, you know, actual real world practical witchy experience uh, to recommend to people. So this sounds absolutely incredible. You, you've got these two beautiful Oracle decks, uh, the the Tarot of the Trees and the Plant Spirit Oracle. And now you are creating this wonderful book. You've been very busy. <laughs> it's oh it's because a lot of these projects take they, they take whatever time they take honestly and I, I wish I could create faster but sometimes I feel like like the tarot of trees took me about five years plant spirit oracle took me about five years and this book took me about five years but I was kind of working on them at the same time so um but I think that's important like it's not about speed it's about what you want to bring into the world whoever whoever you are and whatever you're doing that's that's the important thing is the the joy of it I guess I don't know I'm big on joy I, I like to try to live a joyful life and that's an important part of my own practice there's not enough joy in the world sometimes so i i hear you there the the more joy that we can find in our lives and in ourselves and in each other the better i think yeah and i really feel like like in terms of the the plant spirit oracle and the tarot of trees like i really want that to come through and and so if i'm going to create art as an artist and i'm going to put it out there, particularly as a piece of magical art, you know, like the plant spirit oracle and the tarot of trees, like those are magical paintings. Um, you know, tarot of trees is primarily a, a divination system. The plant spirit oracle is a little more complex because it's not only a divination system, it's also teaching you about herbs and plants, their uses, but also sort of almost like offering you a plant initiation and te- like, like you can use it to meet the spirit of mugwort or meet the spirit, spirit of monarda or, um, you know, all of these different plants. And so it's important to me as an artist that I'm in the right mindset and that I bring the right energy in so that when that goes out into the world, you know, I feel like I'm kind of responsible for it. You know, I, I can't, I don't want to put out something that doesn't, I don't know, that doesn't, that doesn't do good and that doesn't help all of these things we've been talking about. Right. And so that's, that, that's a part of, I think that's a part of, for me, it's an important part of of practicing art. I might make ugly art or art when I'm sad, but that's not art that you're ever going to see on my Instagram or that's never going to be, you're never going to see that in one of my decks, you know, <laughs> that's an important part. Cause I think it's important to, I don't know, connect people in positive ways. We have enough negativity in the world, you know? Ooh, so very, very true. 
so so true very sad but very true <laughs> yeah yeah i think i think it's like um to sort of follow up on that you know we choose i, I actually wrote about this recently in my blog like like we have a lot of power as people who practice magic like we have you know we have i mean what is magic the direction of the will right <laughs> like one of that's at least one of the one of the um basic theories of magic is you know it's it's it's, a, it's applying our will and directing energy to a particular intent and we as magical practitioners we get very good at that um so whenever we want to put something into the world we have a little bit of extra emphasis perhaps than somebody who isn't you know meditating and you know doing lots of spell work and lots of energy raising or whatever and so i do think we have an ethical obligation to make sure that the things we put in the world are things we want to have in the world right um and so there's you know what vision do we want to bring forth um through whatever creation it is whether it's a, a piece of art or whether it's something right or anything else right so that's kind of part of that i guess I like that because you do have to think about it. I mean, uh, apart from the the obvious, you know, all actions have consequences things. It's like, you know, you, you have to think about what am I bringing into the world when I'm doing this? What am I bringing into the world when I'm discussing things with people, when I'm teaching others, when I'm, you know, putting something out there? You know, is it for. I know a lot of us have to, you know, we want to vent or we just want to create things just to create or for, like you said, for therapeutic purposes. But when you are putting something out there to share with others, to guide them, to help them, it's, you know, am I putting this forth for the greatest possible good that I can? Yeah, yeah. And and I think that maybe because we have so many traditional religious systems, like dominant religions in our country and in our world that are really based on punitive actions, you know, like don't do this, this is bad. It's sometimes, sometimes you're thinking about what you shouldn't do rather than what you should do. Um, and that kind of goes back to permaculture. Like permaculture's goal isn't to do less bad. Permaculture's goal is to do good. <laughs> you know, it's, it's to heal. It's like, you know, there's enough talk about how to do something less bad in the world. Like, you know, I can live more sustainably so i'm going to reduce my impact which is sort of framed in the like a less bad philosophy but if you kind of take that philosophy too far then it's like well if all i do is bad how can i you know how why am i even alive right why am i here and so if you frame it again as like how much good can i do um i feel like that's a much more empowering place for you to be as a as a as, as anything, as, as a witch or as a druid or as an artist. And then, and then you can really start thinking about what do I want to do and how do I bring change? And, you know, that ties back to, of course, you know, nature, spirituality and all of my philosophies about, you know, being good ancestors and honoring the land and trying to protect it. That's a good way of looking at it. It's, 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 it's not just, you know, what can I stop doing? What can I do, you know, less of it's, it's also, you know, what can I do more of? What can I start doing? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's really I think that's a per particularly useful message today because I think that so much of it is like ever, everything is about what everyone's doing wrong, you know, mm -hmm. and it's, it's, you know, what do you need to stop doing? You know, you can't do this anymore. You can't do that anymore. And it's like, like you said, it, I, I don't see a lot of discussion on, you know, what we can do. There's there's so much focus on what we we can't do or what we shouldn't do or what we need to stop doing. And it's like, well, then provide an alternative. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that there, you know, there's a lot of people out there that are doing that, but I don't necessarily know if those conversations are part of the dominant discourse. Maybe someday they will be, but you One know, hopes, yeah. 
Yeah, in the meantime, you know, you can find them on places like the Druid's Garden blog. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and certainly, like, in the herbalism community, the permaculture communities, those, you know, the pagan communities, I think we're seeing a lot of really good work in that area. So I do think things are, are, are shifting and changing, and that's really positive. I think they are. I, a lot of the conversations that I'm seeing even though there are a lot, like I said, that are talking about, you know, what we we can't do, what we shouldn't do. There's a lot of conversations happening right now that are very empowering, that are very encouraging, that are reminding people to, you know, see the magic where they find it, to see magic in the everyday and in themselves and to, you know, not be too hard on themselves. And most importantly of all, I think to be patient because we, we have, you know, in, in the modern day, we're, we're so impatient so much of the time. Um, we expect this instant gratification just from, you know, our lives and from media. And, you know, we want things fat, bigger, faster, better. But so much of uh, things that are tied into nature-based spirituality take time because things need time to grow. The seasons need time to move. And we have to learn to be patient with that and also to be patient with ourselves as we learn because we're not going to get it all right away. Oh yeah, absolutely. I just want to clarify. I think there are definitely conversations that should be having about what we shouldn't do just to be clear. Oh yes, yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, but to, to, to move on. Yeah. I, I think that this is another really powerful lesson of nature, something we certainly do in AODA. And I think a lot of other druids do it too. It's this, that quiet taking, Taking, you know, for AODA, it's like 15 minutes in nature once a week as a bare minimum, right? That doesn't seem like a lot of time, but in a busy life, you know, that might be all you get. You have a cup of tea, you sit under your tree or whatever. Um, But I think that's a lot of what nature spirituality and druidry is about. It's about, and really all magical practice, right? It's, It's about... It's about being able to take the time and making the time and the space to slow down to watch the sunrise, to recognize that we are connected to something greater. And like that's, you know, if we think about, you know, our typical modern life, like the whole idea of inner life at all is completely gone. You know, there's nothing and nothing in our current culture cultivates an inner life. And so I think it's really important that we have to create that distance and space to create it for ourselves. You know, I like to do something every year I call going dark, which basically means I turn off social media um, and I turn off my electronics. And sometimes I turn off, sometimes I go by candlelight and I just take like, usually I have usually a pretty long break in January. So I usually take like a week or more and I just really delve myself deeply into my spiritual practices and I slow down. Um, And I try to do the same thing like on our, on our, on our uh, holidays, on our eightfold holidays, I make sure I take a day in there to do that. And that's one of the ways that I sort of find that that space. And as soon as you like, I don't know, you turn off Facebook for a week, suddenly you don't really want to be back on it. And suddenly you're like, what did, what was the appeal of this? Or, you know, there's definitely reasons to be on Facebook and social media. But I think I think it's like good with limitation. And, and we can definitely use our we can definitely take that time in that space um, and learn from nature, you know, like, I had to wait, like I had to wait to tap those trees till the right day. And it didn't matter if I wanted to tap them in mid January. It doesn't matter if I want to do that in July. Like there is a one time a year and nature is going to take her sweet time. And, you know, and I just think that that's really valuable. Like the more time we spend in nature, the more we learn that, you know, there's not this artificial abundance. Like my strawberry patch produces for three, for three weeks a year. I only get to eat those, those delicious strawberries for three weeks and that's okay. 
that's sacred. And if I can, and I'll, I can get strawberries from the grocery store, but they're not as good. And so it's all about like learning that, that lesson from nature about time and slowness. And I just think that's such a powerful lesson right now for us. Time and slowness. Yeah. And also, uh, like you said, kind of treasuring what we have while it's here instead of, you know, trying to rush through and just expecting things to sort of always be as they are. It's like, no, you know, things are transient. Things come and go. So it makes them more special when we have them. Yeah. And like this is where this is where homesteading and permaculture and nature based spirituality get really cool. Right. Because Mm -hmm. there are things that you can grow or that you can forage you know, in, a, in an ethical way, <laughs> making sure you give and take. Um, there are things that you can get that are so unique to your landscape that you would never experience if you went to the store and bought them. Um, that's true of whether you go to the metaphysical shop or whether you go to the grocery store. And like, you know, I'll give you a good example. Um, there's this really delicious berry that we have actually quite abundant. You'll be able to find it where you live called service berry. Um, it's also known as Juneberry or Saskatoon. And it, it, Juneberry, it, that gives you the name of when it, it usually, um, it usually uh, produces very abundantly sometime in June, usually like close to the summer solstice where I live, maybe a little sooner from where you live because you're in a little bit of a warmer climate. Juneberry is absolutely delicious. Um, it kind of tastes like a watery blueberry. If you, uh, if you just eat it fresh, it's not bad. But if you cook it, the seeds like release this like incredible, like almost like an amaretto flavor. And it becomes this like deep cherry, almondy, delicious flavor that you would never, ever experience if you didn't have this berry. They're super easy to find. People plant them all over the place, like in urban environments. They're probably one of the best urban foods you can find. Slowing down enough to notice those berries, identify them and say, wow, there's some June berries over there. Maybe I'm going to go make a jam or a cobbler. Um, or like another one I love to do, um, I love working with the oaks and the acorns and, you know, making my own acorn flower. I don't make a lot of it every year, but it is a completely unique experience. It connects me so deeply with the oaks, which are very sacred to druids. It's grounding. It's magical. And so sometimes when you take the time to like learn about your local ecosystem and learn some of the foods or like I mentioned white pine incense earlier, that's another really good one, you know. Gather a little bit of sap from a local park, you know, in a way that doesn't hurt the tree if it's dripping down or whatever. Burn that on your incense block, you know. It's amazing that there are these wonderful, unique, and magical experiences and practices that you can have that are completely outside of the realm of consumerism and everyday life and that you would never experience if you didn't just take the moment to find out. And that's part of why I like nature spirituality so much and part of why I like all of these practices is that I've tasted things that like I can't even describe to you that have no equivalent in anything you could buy at the grocery store, you know, and it's just so fun to to experience that and create a magical practice surrounding that. Like we create a magical practice surrounding our acorns every year. Like we have acorn bread at Samhain and we usually have it with our our jam from our land and with a really nice meal. And that's really an important part of just a local practice. And that takes a long time to get to the point where we have enough acorn flour to make something, you know, cause you have to leach it. And it's, it's, it's a very time consuming process, but the unique flavor and the magic and the intention of that is so powerful. Um, so I'm going to find the time to do that every year because it's, it builds meaning and sacredness in my life. I did see the article that you, uh, that you wrote about uh, making acorn flour and making acorn cakes. And it just, it it made me want to go walking in the woods in the worst way. (laughs) 
<laughs> I was like, darn it, I, I want to go to my in-laws farm and I, I want to I want to go forage and, and find things. You and my mother-in-law would get along so well. Um, she also loves to go walking in the woods. She loves to go foraging. There's a lot of uh, they, they have a small farm, so they have their own, you know, small bits of, of homesteading and permaculture out there. But she also goes out and does wild crafting on their property and um i keep meaning to join her and you know i i I promised her that this spring we would go and and do that together so while we're out there probably sometime in late may i'll have to look for those service berries yeah yeah go look for those and another one i always recommend is autumn olives which are in the fall they're usually around the fall equinox oh what a delicious thing and they're considered invasive and they're everywhere they're literally everywhere and they're easy to find and they're so good And it's just like, you know, it's just those kinds of things. But it's not just that that's about foraging and wow crafting. It's also for me, and I think this is kind of the point I'm trying to drive home, is that that itself could be a very deep magical practice. You could, you you know, you can connect to the service barrier, the oak or the autumn olive. You can learn about the spirit of that plant. You can honor it. um, And then you can make something that you can use in ritual um, or something that's simply just sacred that you only get once a year. And I feel like the more that we can do that, the, the the more power that we take over sort of our lives that are in many cases determined by algorithms and all of these things. You know, there's just a lot of we've let we've lost a lot of control over ourselves in some ways, the more that we're online, especially during the pandemic. And, you know, the more that we sort of buy into these dominant narr- cultural narratives that we know are problematic, we know that have caused a lot of tr- problems for us in nature. And so just letting those be released a little bit and finding other ways I find is, is really valuable. And it's also really good for your spiritual development. Absolutely. And I mean, beyond just, you know, it feels better to sit under a tree there. We have a lot of um, beaches and live Oak and Myrtle around here. Um, So I I think I'm going to have to make some time once things start blooming to, you know, reconnect because I've been meaning to, I was connected to a lot of things when I lived in Pennsylvania, like we had a maple tree and it was my tree, but you know, then I moved and things get, for lack of a better word, uprooted. Yeah, totally. Yeah. So you're right. I mean, you, you do have to find, you can, you can find it in your own space. Yeah. One Mm -hmm. of the pieces of advice we give to people who move in AODA, because we, 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 we encourage people to develop this really localized practice, right? And then suddenly you move across the country and you're like, what am I going to do? One of the things we recommend is to find the similarities. So you can look like, okay, maybe there's not the same species of maple in the new place, but there is a species of maple. Or what is the tree that would most represent the other one? Um, Or hawthorn, which pretty much grows everywhere. I mean, there's like 78 different hawthorns or goldenrod. And so like, rather than finding the the differences, um, which of which there are plenty, look for the plants that stay. So like, for example, um, we went to Iceland a couple of years ago and I was feeling like it was just so foreign. And then I looked down and there was chickweed and dandelion. And I was just like embracing them because Iceland doesn't have a lot of trees and it's just gorgeous, but it just was so foreign to me. And there was the chickweed and the dandelion. And I just like got on the ground and I was like, my friends, I'm so thankful to see you. And then suddenly I felt much better. I felt like I was at home because there were my dear, dear friends that were there to greet me. And I found them, you know, a continent away. And that was so exciting. I felt the same way the first time that I found a big, big oak tree. 
mm-hmm. when I uh, after I moved here because that was one of my other favorites up north. You know, in Pennsylvania, we we have these these massive like century oaks just mm-hmm. all over the place in the mountains and and the maple and sassafras everywhere, and there are different oak trees down here, but you know, I was used to seeing those lobed leaves that are a very particular shape. And I was used to seeing the bunches of acorns and like that said home to me. So when I uh, went to one of our local historical sites and there was this massive, massive oak tree so big that the, major the major branches were weighed down and sitting on the ground it was like oh there you are <laughs> i love it i love it yeah yeah that that those live oaks are so incredible oh my goodness mm-hmm. they're so incredible yeah they turn I, the coolest colors in the fall yeah like that's what i'm talking about like there's always a way to connect with nature outside your door even if you know even if you move somewhere new I've been lucky that I've pretty much lived in like a similar, like I've lived in either in the Midwest or the mid Atlantic most of my life. And, but there were definitely some differences coming back from Michigan, things I missed. And then things that I, I think like the hardest thing for me is that I live in, you know, I mentioned the Laurel Highlands region. So Laurel <laughs> refers to either mountain Laurel or rhododendron. Um, and they're both really beautiful, per, like um, perennial understory um, and people probably are really familiar with rhododendrons because a lot of people grow them like as an ornamental in their yards but that's actually native to the mountains here and like it was weird because when I would go into the forests in Michigan and there's not a lot of eastern hemlocks up there either I was missing there were components I couldn't explain but it just didn't quite feel like home and then I came back here and I'm like there's my mountain laurel and there's my rhododendron and suddenly I felt like I was at home and so there's definitely that that sense of home that you maybe can't get anywhere else you know I think I'm going to have to look into Druidry a little more because a lot of this is really, really resonating. <laughs> like this this is plucking some heartstrings that I did not know were there. I'm a little surprised. Oh, I'm <laughs> glad to hear that. The night, I will say this. The really nice thing about Druidry is that, as I said much earlier, um, we don't really specify, at least in my kind of Druidry, we don't specify what to believe And so there's a lot of people who take Druidry as an additional component to an existing magical or spiritual practice. So we have in in AODA, we have a really wide range of people like I'm, I'm a pagan Druid. I'm an animist Druid. You know, I'm like a Druid Druid. Like that's my core path. But we have people who are like Buddhist Druids and, you know, um, the whole idea of Druid craft, which is like the witchcraft Druidry. Um, We even have people who are like Christian Druids or, um, you know, atheist Druids. There's just like such diversity. And it's really cool to see how different people can come to these practices and find something and still have maybe additional belief systems or additional practices that they build into it. Um, And so I really like that about Druidry, that there's that flexibility and that freedom to do that. So like you can be a Druid and be a witch and that's cool. Like that's exciting. And you can also talk to somebody who's like a Christian Druid and still has something in common and like find common ground. And that's also cool. Do you know what I mean? So I, I appreciate those things about our tradition. I love that too. I, that's one of my favorite parts of like being a witch and witchcraft in general is there's no like requirement for being a witch other than you call yourself a witch and you practice witchcraft in whatever sense or, or method you can that has meaning to you. You know, there's, there's not a dogmatic requirement. There's not a lifestyle requirement. You know, you, you just are. 
So I, I like that they have that in common. That's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the common, the common thread, you know, which actually came out of another group of uh, the reformed Druids of North America is this idea that nature is good. Like every Druid will agree that nature is good. (laughs) And that's where there's our, there's our basic common, you know, basic commonality. I mean, there's a lot more, especially if you decide to join a Druid order, which you don't have to do. You can, you can be a Druid. You could call yourself a Druid and start going to nature and you're a Druid. Um, a lot of people choose to join a Druid order because it gives you some commonality. It gives you some sets of practices. Maybe they give you some mentoring, some lessons to work through that can be really helpful to sort of deepen your practice in particular ways and in ways structured, you know, and, and some might, and safe for you, right? Especially for somebody who's brand new, you can get yourself in a lot of trouble pretty quickly <laughs> if you don't know what you're doing. Um, yeah. And it's important to have that that guidance and that that community and those resources sometimes, too. Yeah, yeah. Like, I definitely feel like I benefited a lot from the two. I, I belong to the um, AODA, obviously. And I also belong to the OBOD, the Order of Bards, Ovates, and Druids. And I finished both of the their sets of courses, and they were extraordinarily beneficial to me. I mean, they aren't the entirety of my practice. I've added a lot of other things that were not part of those courses. Um, or that the courses, like, led me and said, hey, if you're interested in this, check this out. Um, but they definitely gave me a basic structure and a basic practice that then I could build in a really interesting set of ways. Like, I mean, I'm, I'm a very different Druid than another Druid you might meet from Obot or AODA. And that's great. Like that's that, like that diversity is really important to all of us and we really cultivate and cherish it. That's a beautiful philosophy. It really is that. Oh, I'm, I'm getting misty. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I have to delve back into my library after we get off this call. You're going to laugh. I had uh, a friend who was cleaning out her library some years ago, and she gave me uh, a book about the Awen. And I was like, oh, this this is really interesting. But I just kind of was like, oh, this doesn't speak to what I'm doing right now. So I kind of put it aside and I actually haven't read it. And I think it might be time. Yeah, yeah. The Awen is, I'll tell you, when you really, when you, you, I've dedicated myself to the Awen. I really feel like that, especially as an artist. And it, but it's like, you know, it depends on how you want to see it, but it's not just that the Awen, I mean, the, the, you know, the flowing inspiration, divine inspiration flow, however you want to think about it. Like the way that I see it, it's both like the cultivation of creative acts. So, and it's not even that you have to be in an art studio. You could be in your kitchen, you could be in your garden, you could be planning your lesson as a teacher or figuring out something at work it's the idea of cultivating that creativity that just sort of flows through you. you're like wow I'm inspired right it's an, it's an it's almost like living an inspired life um, but there's also this idea um, which actually comes out of psychology but we also understand it spiritually and druidry of being in a flow state um, and that's like um, so that's a different kind of Arwen that's when you are involved in a project again it could be anything anything that you're doing with your hands or your mind Um, I'll use the example of art because I make a lot of art like I'm in a painting and I'm in the painting like I am so deeply embedded in the painting that everything else sort of falls away and I get into this very meditative state you know maybe I have some light music on or whatever but I lose track of time and when I emerge I feel refreshed I feel rejuvenated and I've produced a beautiful painting that I can give somebody as a gift or put into an oracle deck and so there's this idea of that like it, it is truly a magical experience to experience that flow. And so, yes, Awen is awesome. Like I feel like I feel like sometimes in our culture, we frame creativity as sort of like something you have to you have to create. You, you have to sell. Right. 
if you're going to create art, you have to sell it. Um, or if you have to create art, it's all about, am I good at this or not? Am I talented? Oh, I hate that word. Don't even get started on talent. Um, <laughs> Cause I think it limits people. Like you don't have to be talented or good at anything. You just have to experience it. You know, you just have to let the almond flow. And eventually if you care about something enough, you'll get good at it. Um, I was terrible at painting when I started and guess what? I'm good at it now. Cause I put a lot of time and effort into it and that's all it takes. But it's this experience of that flow of Awen and that cultivation of creativity. And that's part of the way that we can connect with nature, find inspiration in nature and find joy. That's, that is a huge part of like the core of my practice, I think is how can I be inspired to create new things and do new things? Or what is that interesting branch over there? What is it? Oh, wow, I have a great idea, you know, and how can I learn more and cultivating that? So yeah, I, I think it's wonderful. And I wish everybody understood that, because <laughs> I feel like people would be happier if they did. I think they would too. And I like what you said about, um, about talent and practice. That's actually one of the quotes I kind of keep in my back pocket. Uh, Bob Ross said, uh, once upon a time, talent is a pursued interest. Anything that you're willing to practice, you can likely get good at. And yeah. Uh, yeah, I just, I kind of keep that, like, like I said, I, I kind of keep it close at hand for the days when I feel like I can't create, I can't write, I have no inspiration. And I got to tell you, you talking about getting into the flow of things, I am shook because when I get into it, when I'm writing, when I'm creating spells when I'm you know getting in and like I'm in that mode it feels like a flow that's exactly how I would describe it is don't interrupt it just let it flow and wow <laughs> just wow druids, like for druids we cultivate that we see that mm -hmm. as we see that as magic but yeah, actually, in like my everyday like job, I'm actually a learning researcher. And so one of the things I study is how people develop over time. I study writers because I'm a writing person. Um, and it blows your mind, like when you look at this idea of talent, and you also look at this idea of like, whenever somebody starts doing something, and they struggle, because you're invariably going to struggle when you start to learn something, you know, something new, or you try something that's harder than maybe you can accomplish. Um there's this idea that if you're not like in our culture, there's this idea of like this innate talent. If you're not immediately good at it, you shouldn't do it. Um, and if you have that mentality towards things, then actually developmentally over time, you're actually not going to grow much. You're going to kind of shut down and you're going to try to do some other things. And so it is really important. Like if you're thinking about cultivating a creative practice that you kind of like leave that concept of talent at the door and you simply say, I am at a certain place and I will get better if I learn, you know, and I grow and I try. And that's, and I think that that's part of why I like Druidry so much. And I like the Bardic path so much is because the point of the Bardic path and Druidry is not to produce something. And so if I, if my goal isn't to make something that I'm really like, I mean, it's, it's part of it. Like you want to produce something. If I sit down to paint or I do a lot of leather work, if I want to produce a bag, I'm still not very good at that. I'm learning, <laughs> I'm learning, I'm getting better, but that's really hard. There's a lot of technical skill that I still I'm learning. But um, if I sit down to do something, the point isn't to produce it. That's part of the point, but the point is to experience the flow the point is to be creative. The point is to experience that deep connection with the universe through that Awen, right? It's a spiritual practice. And so then 
the product becomes less important and then you have space to make mistakes and laugh about them and not get upset and not, you know, not, not quit so quickly. And that's actually a huge thing. Like a lot of people that we see that come into the bardic practices, culture has told them that they can't be good, that they're not talented because they're not good at something when they start. Well, nobody is, you know, very few people are really good at something when they start. And so seeing creative practices as a spiritual gift and as a spiritual practice changes your relationship in really powerful ways. And that can be really, really beneficial. And then eventually, if you can embrace that early on, eventually you'll get really good because you'll be in that flow and you'll be embracing it from a different perspective. If that makes any sense. That makes perfect sense. Yeah, it absolutely does. And it, it goes back to that whole um, instant gratification thing. It's like you said, you know, if if we're not good at something right away, we're like, well, then why bother? And the point is to bother, you know, yeah. the, the point to practice and to try and to fail and then do it again we're we're so afraid sometimes of of failing um because you know it doesn't feel good to get things wrong but you have to do it to learn from it and i i love that that's tied into uh this philosophy of you know the the point is not to you know have a finished product or have a perfect skill it's the journey to get there and being mindful of that journey and connecting with your spirituality through that that's 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 really beautiful and very resonant. Yeah, like don't get me wrong, having a nice painting at the end is a nice outcome, but Oh sure. <laughs> I mean, and you know, like I said, eventually you'll get there, but it's uh, there's so much more to it and it's just such a to have that it's it's I don't I did it um I I did a study a couple of years ago um oh, the order of bards Ovids, and druids has like um a scholarship series every year. They encourage they ask people who can do research in various ways. Not all of them have to be academics. Um, to do research on different aspects of the Druid tradition to sort of further the tradition, like through a research lens. And um, I did a piece of research on bards um, in, I want to say it was 2018, looking at that. And that was like one of the big resonant things that came out. I interviewed a bunch of people who are Druids and who are also really committed to being a bard and and their creative practices. And one of the things that came out was just the incredible, like it didn't matter what skill level, but the incredible amount of, of like peace and healing like the incredible human benefit that they received from creative practices. Like, you know, it was things like my creative practice, like there was one woman who told me like her knitting was literally like breathing. Like she could not live without it because it was so important to her. And she said, I'm not even that good. It's not about being good. It's about the practice. It's about enjoying that experience. And I, I just, I, yeah, I think that that's just so powerful, especially in our culture where, like you said, it's like instant gratification. It's like if you're producing something, you have to be selling it. You know, you don't have to do any of that stuff. You could just be a druid and, you know, be a bard and you know, it's all good. And, and, and I think that, that that has been really, really important in my own life, definitely in terms of my own spiritual development and self-development. Mm-hmm. And, and finding that joy, like you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of a lot of my joy comes from my art, my art studio and my garden. <laughs> oh, this is wonderful. Well, Dana, I have to thank you so much for stopping by today. You have given me and hopefully our listeners a lot to think about. <laughs> um, before we wrap things up, uh, could you please tell the lovely people where they can find you and your wares online? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the easiest way to go to find me is the druidsgarden.com. Um, there's links to my blog. There's links to uh, the Etsy site where we sell like the oracles and things like that. 
Um, if you just Google the Druid's Garden, you'll find my blog and you can find everything from there. And I blog weekly. Um, I take a couple breaks during the year, but I try to post something weekly um, that ties to all of the topics we talked about tonight to sustainability, to permaculture, to druidry, to synthesizing that daily living, creative practices, you know, herbalism, all of those things. It's kind of it's sort of uh, my interpretation of druidry and nature spirituality through the lens of sustainable living. So, yeah, I would love to see you there. Um, I have an Instagram too. It's Druid's Garden Art. Um, and so if you want to see my creative works, that's where I post them. Um, and yeah, I want to really thank you, Brie. It was a wonderful conversation. It was really delightful to talk with you and learn from you as well. So thank you so much. Oh, thank you. This is, this has been absolutely lovely. And folks, if you're at all interested in druidry, in permaculture, wild crafting, even just simple green witchcraft or working with the land, go and visit Dana's blog. Check out her Oracle decks. There is a wealth of information and inspo there. And I would recommend it to anybody. I'll make sure I have all the links for everything in the show notes so you can find it. And I am looking forward to that book. Uh, Is there a title for it yet? Uh, yeah, the book is uh, Sacred Actions, Living the Wheel of the Year Through Sustainable Practices. And I actually will send you a link to it, too, because I think they just got it up on Amazon and places like that. So I can give you a link for that as well. Ooh, fantastic. Yes, let's get these good books out there and get them in people's hands. Fantastic. Awesome. So that does it for this month. Good luck with your gardens, everybody, because the solstice is coming and planting time is almost here. So make sure that you're getting your seeds in order, getting your starter trays ready, and most importantly, planning that plot. Until next time, this is Bree and Dana reminding you to stay safe, wash your hands, and grow where you're planted. Hex Positive is a proud member of the Nerd and Tie Podcast Network. Check out everything they have to offer, including our sibling podcast, BS Free Witchcraft, over at nerdandtie.com. Intro and outro music by Kevin McLeod. For all the latest updates, follow at hex underscore podcast on Twitter. You can also follow me at at Brina Garin on Twitter and Instagram. For more information on my books, you can check out my WordPress and my Amazon author page. And if you'd like to support the show, please visit patreon.com slash Stay safe, wash your hands, and remember, always practice safe hacks.